Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 43. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how have your holidays been, Fooliman? My holidays have been okay. And that's me trying to put a good spin on it because my laptop uh, broke down and served mm-hmm. notice that it no longer wanted to be in my employ. And as a card-carrying nerd of some dimension, most of my life involves doing stuff with that laptop. So I basically just stopped being myself for like four days where I was like, I guess I just have to sit here and read a book. Yeah. And so that yeah, was gross. But... Uh, after one week out of the loop of the podcast, I have a new computer, and hopefully nothing ghastly is happening with the sound quality on this podcast, but if I sound like a robot, I'm sorry. We'll just try to power through. Yeah. No, it's actually scary how much of my life is dependent on, on my laptop. Like, so I have I have a MacBook. Like an, It's an old MacBook at this point. It's like five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and my original charger was completely busted like you could see the metal wires i took it into the apple store like a month ago and they're like yeah we would this is like beyond a total catastrophe like we literally like they were actually aghast and like almost <laughs> impressed like how, how do you do how'd you do this <laughs> like were, were you using it as like a wire cutter or something like i um so anyways at, at one point I, I was still using it because i'm cheap as hell well you know like economy <laughs> and is no point, vice i say yeah and at one point like i, I plug it i plug it into my uh, macbook and I remove it for some reason. I can literally see the sparks from oh, <laughs> the electricity. Uh, mm. <laughs> and then my, back, my MacBook turns off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, god damn it. That, that probably broke my computer. I'm no technician. it didn't. But that sounded a little bit worrisome. I think that's a bit bad. But yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyways, I, threw, I, I don't use that one anymore. <laughs> really? <laughs> I've learned my lesson. <laughs> After almost like electrocuting myself. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't actually almost electrocute myself. I'm going to get like a text from my mom after she hears this. It's like, Arvin, you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Um, but anyways, that, that, that's been my, my holiday season, I guess. Um, I didn't watch the game last night actually, because I had a bit of a holiday party with some of my friends. Well, you know what? seems like lucky you. It was a good decision. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a good decision. Although I I have one more off topic gripe before we start. Mm -hmm. So the day before the holiday party, one of my friends messages me. It's like, oh, and it's like, oh, I feel sick. I won't be able to come. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But then during the party, I, I was just checking Instagram, and I saw on her Instagram stories her at another party. Oh no! It's it's like the meme about like, rappers telling on themselves. Yeah. Like I I, I don't mind if you don't want to come, but like don't insult my intelligence. Yeah, it's like make <laughs> at me... least hide it a little better. Yeah, respect me enough to lie to me plausibly exactly everyone's lying most of the time it's just that's the social contract is that you respect me enough to be dishonest exactly you know like like, just treat me like i am not an idiot yeah um yeah you know what i think you are justified in razzing that friend over that for an extended period Um, yeah definitely so yeah uh so things were going pretty well the last time we did a podcast uh the leafs had lost a couple games in a row and we said, honestly, everything is pretty much fine. And in a rare moment of success for this podcast, we turned out to be right because the Leafs yeah. uh, reeled off five wins and they generally look pretty good uh, doing yep. it. Um, Absolutely. And we were all poised to be like sunshiny and terrific. And then they just went out like a wet fart against the New York Islanders. So- yeah. So... Again, I didn't see the game, but from looking at the stats, from looking at the highlights, from reading recaps of people who did watch the game, it just looks like <laughs> it looks like the Leafs just did not show up at all, and that the Islanders did. 
And I mean, that's what happens. I, I'm not really concerned about it in any larger sense. It kind of sucks, especially for John Tavares. Yeah. I mean, the the Islanders fan base is kind of treating it like their Super Bowl. Yeah. Which is like, sure. I mean, look, look I'm not going to throw stones. We were Leaf fans. We found joy in the most tiny things when our team was bad. Oh, 100%. So. Like, if we won a, a regular season game against Boston or something, we were yeah. like, this is better than sex. You know, like... this, It's like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> um, so, whatever. Like, I'm not yeah. going to throw any shade on Islanders fans there. That's, yeah. that's fine. That's what being a fan's about. It's about lording your wins over other teams. Yeah, I, you know what? I would crow about it, too. I'd be like, yeah, oh, absolutely. yeah, Mr. Fancy Pajama Boy wants to run away and play with the big city. Well, guess what? Um, but... Especially since Barzal got a hat trick. Yeah, that's true. And, like, Tavares has been, like playing extremely well like he's having a career year yeah and this doesn't really change that and matt barzell no. has had some difficulty being the main guy in long island on a relative sense i want to be clear he had some difficulty compared to like guy who was going to get 95 points he's like a one c but yeah yeah he's still amazing yeah but the truth is the Isles probably had this circled on their calendar. Barry Trotz in the lead-up was talking about, I want my team to know that Tavares chose not to be their teammate anymore. Which, aside... It's a bit, it's a bit overwrought, but I guess as a motivational tool, whatever. Yeah, it is what it is, and it worked. Um, Barry Trotz made a similar choice regarding the Washington <laughs> Capitals, but okay. Anyway, uh, the reality is, I think the Islanders really, really wanted this one. I think the Leafs didn't care that much and they were off a back-to-back now the islanders played the night before too but the islanders were revved up the leafs were kind of coasting and i'm not saying that i'm proud of them for that i'm not saying it's impressive but sometimes you're gonna get a disparity in how much the two teams care and normally i don't like relying on that as an explanation too often but the evidence is kind of there on this one that the leafs just didn't show up that hard uh so you know you live and you learn and you move on I don't think that the one loss should really outshine the five wins that preceded it. Yeah, absolutely not. And if not for Tampa looking like the 2007 Red Wings, you know. <laughs> They're the, so we, good. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> they just rolled off, what, like a 15-0-1 streak, which it, it's annoying. Like, we, we went 5-1. and one, We lost ground on them. Yeah. there's. I can't see a scenario where we catch them. Unless, like, the entire team comes down with the plague or something. Like, they're yeah. just, they're dominant. They're really, really good. They're the cup favorite. And it's too bad that they're in our way. But that's how it is. That's life. Um, and, like, Nikita Kucherov has something absurd, like, 40 points in his last 20 games or something. Something nuts like that. Like, it, it, yeah. he's just bonkers. If you <laughs> if you want a galaxy brand in a bit, the uh, the one thing that you can look on the bright side for is that as good a season as Mitch Marner is having, he's not having as good a season as Nikita Kucherov. And you yeah. can try and talk yourself into being like, well, Mitch, you can't make more than Nikita Kucherov. Um, who is... And then get blocked on Twitter by his dad. Yeah. <laughs> Such is the circle of life. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, the Leafs generally played well through their winning streak. Um, they kind of sleepwalked uh, through the first part of a game against the Detroit Red Wings, which was not much to their credit. But they put up some really good showings. They uh, they hung some big numbers on a couple of low-end teams. And they competed hard against uh, Columbus, who's a very good team. So, 
Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think they did well against Columbus. Uh, and that was a very encouraging game because, as you said, Columbus is a very good team. Yeah. Um, they, I think Columbus won the shot attempt battle, but this is one of those games where shot quality was actually kind of notable yeah. and in the Leafs' advantage. Um, so, yeah, I, I was very happy with the game. It was kind of odd where, you know, they, they go to Columbus, they beat a pretty good team, a team who I expect to see in the playoffs and could even win uh, the Metro. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the Islanders, who are, you know, they're not awful, but they're kind of a mediocre team, and then just lay a total egg. But, I mean, that's that's hockey, yeah. right? It, it, and there's, it you happens know, on a game-to-game basis. There's build-up and come-down. I, I do really think that the emotional arc of that kind of game, especially if a goal goes against you early, if you don't get a bounce, it's very easy to kind of deflate and to give in to the momentum of the night uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. I know that that sounds kind of hokey. But I, I do think that it played a role last night specifically just because there was so much narrative weight in everyone's minds going into that game. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. you know, it, it sucks and the Isles fans are going to dance about it for a little while and so be it. Um, I think I'm going to take having John Tavares and losing that game rather than the reverse. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we should also talk a bit about Garrett Sparks and the Leafs goaltending situation because... Sparks started both games of this back-to-back because Frederick Anderson had some injury troubles, a day-to-day groin injury, I think it was. Yeah. Um, it doesn't appear to be long-term. The Leafs did trade a lower-end pick in order to get Michael Hutchinson from Florida as as backup. I don't think that has anything to do with the injury. The news came out 30 minutes after the news about Anderson's injury. Trades usually don't happen in 30 minutes. Yeah, and Mike Babcock said, look, we've been working at this for a long time, and the Marlies have needed goaltending since the start of the season when they lost Pickard and Nakalini. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of reason to believe him. Um, and yeah, so it cost them a fifth round pick in 2020, which, look, I don't think you should throw these away willy-nilly. I also don't think that that's a big deal. That could be the next Philip Crawl. <laughs> yes, the next Philip Crawl. But, uh, you know, it could also be the next long string of guys who never make it, um, yeah. which may or may not include as opposed, Philip As opposed Kroll, to Philip Crawl, Who is a lock. Uh, the only question is, you know... Top four in Norris, really. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, we tried to stabilize the goaltending depth a bit. I think it's good for the Marlies to have somebody who can play. Uh, Freddie Anderson yeah. really does not sound like he's going to be out long, which, thank God, because if there's one thing that could tank this team, it's that. Mm-hmm. But this led to the great Garrett Sparks debate being reheated. and Right, because he had two... Well, I wouldn't say two bad games. He had a, actually, in, in aggregate, a quite good game against Columbus, but the, he, he had a Gustafson shutout almost, right? Where, yeah, exactly. Like, the first goal he let in was just absurdly soft. But he, he was quite good the rest of the way, I thought. Yeah. Um, and against the Islanders, I, I didn't see much of the game. It's kind of hard to blame your goalie when you lose 4 nothing. Yeah. The team sucked. And, yeah. you know... Sparks it, himself probably wasn't great, but, yeah. you know, not the biggest problem. The thing about Garrett Sparks is... Just going to wrap on this a little bit. If you look at the numbers, he looks a lot like a good AHL goalie who came up and is now performing like a pretty okay NHL backup. He has a 905 save percentage, uh, which is, you know, not terrific, but in the current league, that's certainly passable backup territory. If you look at goals saved above average, which is uh, a measure that tries to rank based on how hard the shots coming at you are, as well as how many, uh, He's 39th out of 66 goalies who have played enough minutes to be rated, which puts him right down uh, the backup territory. 
you know, and so for a guy who is a backup playing pretty much like a backup, it's kind of surprising if you're coming in from the outside to think, why is there so much stress and upset about him? So I'm just going to interject here. Part of the reason is because there's not that much else to complain about. Yeah, I think that that's very true is that, you know, things have been going pretty swimmingly for the Leafs in a lot of respects. And, you know, we've over-focused on problems as we are wont to do. But the reality is that this is very possibly the second-best team in the NHL. Uh, I don't think the Leafs have ever been the second-best team in the NHL in my lifetime before. Um, they might have been close in 2002. That was it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. But Garrett Sparks um, seems to have a polarizing impact on people for a couple of reasons. One, he came up through the AHL. Uh, he's very talkative. He's personable. There are a lot of people who talk to him and get to know him and like him, who worked uh, in and around the Marlies, uh, who are friendly with him. And he's kind of an emotional, hard-on-his-sleeve guy. We've talked about this before. He doesn't necessarily quite have the the backup temperament. And, you know, he wants to be a starter in this league, as well he should. He's 25, and he's worked his way up, and certainly... I think that he should have ambitions in that direction, at least. And on the other end of it, he's kind of a wild-looking athletic goalie. Like, he'll make moves that seem to put him wildly out of position and then throw himself back in. He'll allow goals that you think, geez, an NHL goalie's got to have that. And then he'll make spectacular saves. And so even though the net result is actually he's about what you would figure an NHL backup goalie would be, he seems more uneven and more provocative. So you get a lot of people who either react negatively to his personality and his style and who really, really think that he is a problem and he's kind of a bleeding wound. And then you get people who think that that first group is giving him a really unfair shake. And I think this is one of those situations where the truth is in the middle, which is that it was optimistic to assume that his very good AHL save percentage behind a very good AHL team would just translate like that to the NHL. But at the same time, he's not giving us a performance that's like really killing us in any way. You know, he has a winning record as a backup. He has the stats of a good backup. And the Leafs, I don't think, are a defensive team that can be said to make it especially easy on their goalies. So him putting up the performance he is, is, I think, totally fine. Um, Curtis McElhinney is, you know, doing fine in Carolina, and I wish him the best, but I still find myself thinking that, warts and all, the right decision was to keep Garrett Sparks. So. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty much agree with that. I mean, I, I remember reading something, I think maybe Katya mentioned this at one point, but the Leafs actually have done an okay job at reducing shot quality against when Sparks plays. I don't know if that could just be a small sample variance or anything like that mm-hmm. um but yeah as as you covered he his stats grayed out so far as a certainly not a starter but a, a backup who is not really any worse than any number of backups across the league obviously yeah. it's a very small sample but there's nothing in his NHL performance this year that indicates that okay he's a huge problem that we need to get rid of especially because I mean I tend not to get too worked up about the backup goaltender Anyways, um, the Leafs are pretty comfortably going to make the playoffs. Obviously, if Anderson is hurt, we are kind of screwed. Yeah. Most teams are screwed if they have to go a long time without their goaltender. Um, except, you of this sto- 
Except Tampa, yeah, ironically but enough. Yeah. But like even that, I, I I bet if we talked to Alan, he's like, yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable if Vasilevsky went down for a playoff run to rely on Louis Domingue. True. Um, but it reminds me of this story where um, Peyton Manning, uh, former Indiana, Indianapolis Colts quarterback, had this uh, backup named Jim Sorge, who was basically just Manning's buddy. Like he didn't he didn't do anything. Manning played every staff. He was a legendary Iron Man in his career and was one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And one of a reporter was talking to a Colts coaching staff. Uh, and the reporter asked, like, does Sorgi take any reps in practice? Uh, or is it just Manning? Like, no, Manning takes all of them. Uh, so, so the reporter's like, okay, well, aren't you, aren't you screwed if Manning goes down? It's like, and the coach says, yeah, we're screwed going down. Why would we practice being screwed? Like, no matter what <laughs> happens, no matter how, much, how many reps Sorgi gets, he's not Peyton Manning. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of how I feel. Like, no matter what we do with our backup, our backup isn't going to be Freddie Anderson. Yeah. Um, right? So, like, come the playoffs when you need – where your starter's playing all the minutes, all the important minutes, you ride and die with your starter. And, I mean, you, you could say, okay, let's try and improve our backup situation so we're better in case of an injury, but it's not it's not very high on the priorities list. No. Um, right? Because the fact of the matter is if, if that happens, your chances have gone down significantly, and any change you make might only be like, okay, now we have a 4% chance instead of a 2% chance. Yeah, which you can say, well, that's what I'd want to do. And the Leafs did just improve their goaltending depth a bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the reality is, I think also, the Leafs have been so spoiled with the caliber of their starting goaltender since Freddie Anderson arrived that it, it's kind of shed an unflattering light uh, almost on Garrett Sparks. Like, people seem to compare him and be like, oh, man, if only we had Freddie in. Well, yeah. Freddie's yeah, our starter. Your is going to be better than your backup. Yeah. That's how it works. And, you know, Freddie is, this year he's playing like a top five starter in the NHL. Um, and he's having a very good year. But in general, he's a good starting goalie. You know, well, that's how it is. With regard to um, goaltenders, I also am kind of vague on what else Kyle Dubas was supposed to do. Like, I guess the idea was that he would sign Steve Mason off the free agency pile. But Steve Mason doesn't appear to be working anywhere so I don't know where he's at or what's going on there and then after that you know the backup market is what it is <laughs> there aren't you know starting goalies just being waiting to be found at the side of the the road you know it's and and the difference between backups is so small yeah right and the difference between goalies in general is so small and especially over a small time span like it, the upgrade the actual expected upgrade you can uh, upgraded performance you can hope to receive is is really really tiny just because the difference between these players is is really small. It's like it's not really worth it because you're not getting that much additional uh, additional certainty out of it. Yeah, it, it's just it's not a huge problem generally speaking. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention with respect to Sparks, I think a lot of this is because most fans, understandably, don't really pay attention to the AHL. Their first real exposure to Sparks in terms of him being expected to compete for a backup role was this training camp where he didn't look good. And then in his first game, it was that wild game in Chicago where, yeah. again, he didn't look good. And it was just a bizarre finish that the Leafs ended up winning. But, you know, that first impressions matter. They stick out in fans' mind. And I think a huge portion of – maybe not a huge portion, but I think a portion of the blowback against Sparks is remembering his bad preseason and his bad opening – or his bad first performance. Yeah, and remembering him from the tank year possibly when he came up yeah. late. Um, if you, if you go back that far, although that was such a perverse situation early in his career, I don't know about 
how fair that is. But uh, yeah, I do think that there's... Sparks is kind of a fascinating test case because he's so perfect for people to narrativize about. And then this is kind of one of those times where I think numbers are especially valuable because they end up at an answer where it's like, he's fine. He's not great. He's not the worst thing ever. He's fine. And, you know, maybe he'll get better. Maybe not. But (laughs) it does make kind of the intensity of the venom that goes back and forth over him seem really weird. Uh, And, you know, some of it I think it is true is that there's only so much to argue about. But the bottom line, I think, is that Freddie Anderson uh, is our starter. I'm happy to go into the playoffs with Freddie Anderson. People are like, are you comfortable going into the playoffs with Garrett Sparks? No. (laughs) But I wouldn't be comfortable going in with anyone who isn't a top 10 starter. And we have exactly one of those available. So, yeah, that's basically where it is. Yep. Okay, um, so next on our list, I guess we want to talk about some things we were wrong about, mm. right? So we're about halfway through the, the year in terms of games played. Uh, we say a lot of things on this podcast. And I want to acknowledge anything... that we're right very, very often. Yeah, and like 98% don't of the time. point out how wrong we often are. Um, <laughs> it hurts our feelings and makes us sad. But no, in the, in the interest of honesty, because I won't lie, I have a slight weakness for dunking on some bad takes from the, the mainstream hockey media have to own when we were wrong. So here we go. Freddie Gauthier. Look, I said last year, I didn't think Freddie Gauthier was an NHL player. I said earlier this year, he's starting to look like under the right circumstances, he's an NHL player. I want to be clear here. He's a fourth line center right now. But... That's more than I thought he was, and he's doing it pretty well. He's playing with a lot of, uh, of pace and energy that was kind of not present, both in terms of accounts of his AHL play and from what I saw of him in NHL samples. Like, he looked kind of lost out there sometimes. But he's really given it his all, and his all is only so much. But we're far enough away from his draft now that we can just kind of throw out, okay, he was a first-round pick, and we should really be taking him on his own merits. And we have to acknowledge he's been as successful a fourth-line center as the Leafs have had in the last few years, excepting the run that they had with Brian Boyle after the trade deadline. And Thomas Placanich, I would say. Yeah, although Thomas Placanich had zero regular season points for us. which Yeah, but he was, he was also getting like really unlucky, I thought. Like, he, he had good underlying numbers. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, you can include him too, but Goche is somehow producing like very slightly. <laughs> it's like a tiny amount, but again. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm still not convinced about Goche. Mm. <laughs> and I, if you talk to, to Kevin Papetti at our site, like he's still completely like not a fan. And understandably so, because for people who have followed Goche's career up to this point, nothing screamed out NHL. In fact, everything screamed out this guy is a tops out at an AHL player. Yep. Right? Um, and even now, he's getting used in a, a nice situation, right? Like, until recently, he had Tyler Ennis on his wing, who's an above-average winger, certainly for the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Lebo, you could say the same thing about him. A lot of people who are really into the Marlies think Trevor Moore is the same thing. Kevin actually thinks that Trevor Moore is better than Connor Brown right now. I don't know yeah. if I agree with that. I, don't, I haven't seen enough of Moore to say. Um, but 
he certainly has a high quality of of line mate in, in, in that sense and it's not like he's setting the world on fire i think he's you know slightly below parity in terms of shot share and expected goal share I, I i'd have to check that but like that's kind of what you expect out of a fourth liner you don't expect them to beat up on everyone else uh so yeah like it's it, this is like a very tenuous amount of <laughs> of praise right or, it's, it's not so grudging yeah it's like, it's like yeah, yeah it's like we're, we're really hedging our praise here but he has legitimately exceeded uh our expectations so yeah, yeah i mean what can you yeah, say i I mean, he's he's an above-average expected goals player. Um, oh, oh, he's actually above average. He's actually he's actually way above average. Oh wow! He has, according to Corsica, adjusted. He has a fifty-four point four percent expected goals rate. Oh my goodness, that, yeah. that that's actually really shocking. Okay, so he's also one of the like ex- he's never going to hit his expected goals because he has um, worse hands than, and and worse shot than anyone on the team besides William Nylander, apparently. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but that's but, that's impressive. I mean, yeah, it, it, he's doing the fourth well. line has been good. It's been like not really a problem, which is not something you can say for a lot of fourth lines. No, uh, it's done well. It's outscored its competition, which is all you can kind of ask. I feel like that. Like you, we're really gritting on a curve here. I don't want to be clear. We're like at no point will we ever say. Frederick Gauthier should move on to a third line anywhere in the oh, world. Oh, no, 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 but, definitely not. It, we're saying he has played a role at an NHL level with a degree of success. <laughs> yeah. And that is more than we expected of him. And that sounds incredibly sarcastic and, like, rude, but I, I don't yeah. mean it in that way. I'm, like, impressed. He clearly worked hard. He's figured out uh, a niche for himself. Babcock likes him. All, the, all, mm. the, all his teammates seem to love him. He seems like a very fun guy. Yeah, he... Um, Someone, yeah. uh, Justin Bourne was saying, like, he seems a bit like he's so easygoing that people were almost like, is he stoned? Like, off the ice. And he said that early on that was kind of the problem with his on-ice play, too, is that he didn't seem as engaged as he maybe needed to be. But, again, he's he's kind of brought it. And the truth is, if you're going to be a bottom-of-the-lineup guy, you want a guy who's really easygoing because these guys are kind of replaceable. They are replacement players by definition. And so having a guy who's easy to get along with, good in the room, who's going to be ready to play when it's time to play, who's not going to make a huge fuss when injuries um, are recovered from and then his lineup spot maybe gets squeezed out. I, you know, I was so low on him before, but I I find myself thinking, okay, a guy who's 6'5", who can play a decent fourth-line center role, uh, who's easy to get along with, you know, he can play a few seasons in this league and make a few million dollars. Like that's pretty nice. Um, so yeah, I, I have to admit, Frederick Gauthier has kind of shown us all up to a degree. <laughs> yeah, what I really want to happen. So, a lot of these kind of um, stats and analytics-based draft models uh, use a definition of success of a draft pick as them playing above 200 games. And I desperately want that to happen so Gauthier can be considered a success. Yeah. He's but- at like 66 games right now. Um, he's going to be in the lineup until Hyman or Ennis comes back. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, one of them coming back bumps uh, bumps more, and then both of them coming back probably bumps Gauthier, and then Lindholm moves back to fourth line center. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, he'll get some more games. And then, you know, it, it, he's always one injury away from walking into the lineup again. Um, and, you know, he's played well enough that I think 
it's not impossible if somebody is slumping for him to rotate in. And, you know, again, he can play center. So it's, yeah, I, I think we have to acknowledge that he's kind of exceeded. And I'll be honest, I've started rooting for him. For the longest oh, yeah, time, I was like, I was kind of frustrated with the idea of Gauthier. Not with Gauthier personally. He's a nice kid. But with just, he was sort of emblematic of the kind of Dave Nonis way of doing things where you draft for size and not so much for potential or upside or, or skill. But at this point now, it's like he's clearly trying to get better. He's working. He's giving it 110%. And from a fourth line center, that's all I want. You know, I want that mm-hmm. and a and a bit of outscoring your competition and God bless him. So, you know what? When Frederick Gauthier gets handed the cup, I will be applauding. <laughs> <laughs> right after Patrick Marleau gets it, he just gives yeah. it to Gauthier. Who is the number two guy on this team who needs this? Uh, it's clearly Freddie. So, yeah, so, so that's been fun. Um, we've been wrong about some other things, too. Yeah, so I think another thing... I wouldn't say we're necessarily wrong about this player, but I think he he's shot past our expectations. That's Mitch Marner, right? Mm. So before the season, we did a podcast where we talked a bit about the what Marner would potentially cost and kind of the, the stories that were kind of going crazy at the time, right? And I think what we came down to is people are probably overrating the chance that Marner becomes a 90-point player who's like top 10 in the league in scoring. And if he does do that, then that's great. We have a new another star player, and we mm-hmm. have to pay him. That's fine, because we have another star player. And that's pretty much exactly what's happening. Yep, guess what? Um, <laughs> he's another star player. I mean, the rate that he's on now, and he is, like, his on-ice shooting is, like, pretty bananas. I actually, um, I looked this up, and this I think this is before the Columbus game, and he scored three points at the Columbus game, so it might have gone up since then. Um, his on-ice shooting percentage, since the 2012 lockout... It's like top 10 of all player seasons. Yeah, that feels that like it's pretty high. Now that By the said, way, do you, know, do you know who number one and number two are? Oh, God. Is one of them Phil Kessel? No, it, it, they're, they're Leafs in the lockout season, but I'm curious if you can guess who. Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri was number one. Do you, it, number um, two is like a deep cut. Oh, God. Um, Matt Fratton? No, Mark Fraser. <laughs> And if you remember, that was the year he was, like, plus whatever. Like, yeah. you know, ridiculous plus minus for the, exactly this reason. Yeah. And everyone's like, hey, Mark Fraser, he's pretty good. Um, <laughs> oh, and then man. that was also the year he unfortunately got his, like, skull caved in with a Ooh, slap shot. Yeah, that was that bad. Did, that did not look fun. No. Uh, yeah, that, that was tough. But the thing is, is that Mitch Marner, okay, he's running insanely hot right now. But yeah, he's also... He gets, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, he's on pace for 111 points. Yeah. <laughs> like, he can slow down quite a bit and still be, like, top five, top ten in scoring. So Yeah, he's, like, sixth in league scoring right now. Um, probably higher than that when you rate it out on a per-minute basis at even mm-hmm. strength because he's, like, the Leafs are still egalitarian relative to other teams with how they how they play uh, their top guys. Like, it's not like a McDavid type of situation where they get a ridiculous amount of ice time. He's probably the most important part of the league's best power play unit. Yeah. Um, I feel comfortable saying that. It's like kind of splitting hairs, but Marner is un- undoubtedly phenomenal at that. He is, um, he's a superstar. Yeah, there's there's no yeah. real way around it. He is worth a ton of money. He is the type of guy who you move heaven and earth to keep. Yep. Uh, and yeah, like we, we definitely underrated how, how good he was. I, I think we both kind of said, okay, there's a chance he does this, but we're always yeah. kind of inherently kind of a bit conservative on that. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, and you know what? I had this coming into the very first season with the big three. And what I did was I looked at how rookies tended to do. Um, and I set the standard as like, okay, if uh, Matthews has a rookie season like Jack Eichel, that's pretty good. And then, you know, maybe we'll get 40 points out of Marner and Elander, And I would consider that a roaring success. Well, they blew by that. And they blew by that because we had probably the most extraordinary group of three rookies of all time or close to it in terms of the quality of the third guy was merely William Nylander. Um, yeah. It, you know, and I think that's happened again with Mitch Marner, which is that he's an unusually like, like just like a really, I don't want to say unprecedented, but like a great, great passing talent. And I thought that he would be good with Tavares. I didn't realize how much he would help enable Tavares to be a pure scorer because mm-hmm. Tavares was more playmakery. Like he, he always put up goals. Don't get me wrong. He's a great goal scorer, but now he's on pace to break 50 goals for the first time. And even if he doesn't do it, he's probably going to set a career high. Like, I guess I just didn't realize it would be this good. I, I thought, you know, Mitchell, maybe he'll push 85, 90 points. You yeah. know, if he finishes with a hundred, that's spectacular. And, and also, I mean, <laughs> This this has been a high offense year. Yeah. Right. Um, and last year last year was also relatively high offense. I think this year's a bit higher, although uh, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think both are kind of expecting things yeah. to calm down a little bit to pre 2017 levels, mm-hmm. where like 90 points is for sure top five in the league. Uh, this year, 90 points might not get you into the top 10. Yeah, uh, I I mean, kind of extrapolating generally. And I think that this bias is maybe even more increased because, you know, I used to do law. But you kind of assume that precedents matter. That right. things are going to happen in the future kind of like they did in the past. And so just kind of trying to think when I've been wrong about stuff. Underwriting Freddie Goche, well, I looked at guys who produce at the AHL level like he did. And usually they don't work out. And so predicting William Nylander would sign well. Uh, under this CBA, everybody signed um, or, uh, it, it means you're going to be did. right a lot, but then when you're wrong, you you'll you'll be wrong and you'll be like kind of like slow to recognize change essentially. Yeah, and I I have the same thing, right? Where like, uh, you, you underrate um guys who show extreme growth, and the same was true sort of of like Nathan McKinnon, right? I remember yeah. both of us were like, okay, he had an amazing last year. Is he going to keep it up? And the answer right? is and yes, he, <laughs> yes, right? And like, whereas if you're if you're quicker to and I think this also comes down to, like, if you trust your eyes more than either of us do. I think both yeah. of us are kind of very hesitant about that. But, like, if you trust your eyes more, you would look at McKinnon and be like, yeah, everything makes sense now. He's He is this guy forever. Right? Yeah. Um, but that can also get you in trouble in some cases where your eyes lead you astray. Right? So, yeah. I guess that's just kind of different approaches to viewing things. But, anyways, back to Marner. Yeah, he's he's been unreal. Um, the funny thing is to me, he, he still doesn't look that great by these uh, on-in-one play-driving metrics. Like, if you look at our, uh, Evolving Wilds, RAPM, which is essentially context-adjusted ability to generate shots or expected goals, right? So yeah. independent of teammates, of con- of competition, of zone usage, all that sort of thing. Now, the caveat here is that these take a long time to stabilize. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't really... I don't read that heavily into a single season's worth, or in this case, like a partial season's worth. It's just... It's not enough time and enough data for the, the regression to spit something out with a high degree of confidence or a low amount of variance. Um, especially since 
Marner and Tavares have essentially been stable together, yeah. and their times apart are either in games where like the Leafs are losing by a lot generally, mm-hmm. uh, and like maybe he takes a shift with Matthews instead, or it's on shifts where one of them gets caught out in the defensive zone or something like that. Like it's partial shifts that are not completely accounted for, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think our current methods can adjust for those types of things. Like, if someone's time away from another player is entirely just, uh, they happen to be the last person off, and sometimes they can't get off, and they get destroyed in shots for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that can be accounted for because that because of just the way these um, systems work without tracking data. But anyways, that big caveat aside, Marner is viewed as pretty much an average play driver or slightly below average play driver by um, Corsi RAPM and slightly above average by expected goals, RAPM, which is essentially saying that he doesn't do as much as you would intuitively think to drive shots and chances his team's way. Now, here's the thing. I don't believe that. <laughs> no. I, this is like, um, I hate saying this because, uh, you know, you sound like you're being like a Luddite or something, or you're just yeah. gonna be like, no, I don't trust the numbers. I watch the games. Every now and then, you, when you're really, really sure of something, I think all of us have a point where we have to say, no, I don't think the numbers are capturing that. I, Mitch Marner is too good to be denied, in my estimation. Now, maybe he's not sustainably this good, but I just don't buy that his value is being captured there. He's, he's yeah. just too good. You know? We were talking about this beforehand, but like, so it, the same thing applies to someone like Nick Backstrom. If you look at yeah. um, any of these stats with Nick Backstrom, isolated threat, uh, RAPM, anything like that, he looks okay. Mm-hmm. But then like you watch him play, it's like, okay, this guy's controlling everything that's going on on the ice right now. And and I think it, it's, a, it's a thing where playmakers seem to get underrated by these metrics, guys who we know mostly as passers. And that, that's yeah. partially because we treat shooting as entirely the product of the shooter. And it, to be sure, in many cases, it is. But I, I wonder if these elite passers uh, are not appropriately captured by these models. Yeah, and it, it feels certainly like it. looks like an elite passer. Yeah. Uh, at this point, it's one of those things where I'm comfortable betting on his ability to keep doing this. Um, by which I mean I'm going... <laughs> I'm going to be hopefully comfortable with the huge check that he's about to get next summer. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of money. But again, the prospect of putting Marner and Tavares together, you know, for as much as the next six and a half years, uh, I think that that's, that's a great thing. And, you know, we're blessed. They're clearly making each other better. Um, and you, you can say, you know, well... This is the best case scenario in terms of both of their value. And, you know, they probably will cool off a bit, but it's like we have a superstar pairing. It is, a you know, a little reminiscent of Backstrom and Ovi, although Ovi is like the purest goal scorer of all time. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it's just great chemistry and sometimes things work out for the best. That's the other bias that I have is I assume nothing will ever work out for the best. And um, I blame the entire history of the Toronto Maple Leafs for that. But... It, you know, in this case, some things have gone really well, and this is the greatest example. So kudos to Mitch Marner. What a great player. Yeah, and in terms of uh, what's that, what that is going to cost the Leafs, mm. probably a lot. Um, there's a couple things that are working in the Leafs' favor or should work in the Leafs' favor. For one, if the Leafs are smart, they are not going to fall. They're not going to look at 
Marner's points this year and compare it to, I don't know, Jack Eichel's points two years ago and mm-hmm. say, oh, well, he got more points, so he should get more than Eichel. Context matters. It's a higher-scoring league now than it was when Eichel received his contract. Yeah. Right? You have to normalize for that. So that, that depresses Marner's numbers some. Not by a lot, but some. Um, the fact is that RFA wingers usually just don't get that much money relative to RFA centers. Marner could break that. He is one of the best RFA wingers we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. But, again, we have guys like Mikko Rantanen and Patrick Laine up for renegotiations at the same time. Uh, Braden Point, who's a center, who's having just a better season than, than Mitch Marner is having. By the way, like it, yeah. point season is absurd. He has, um, I think, six less points than Marner, but he plays center and he is like an elite defensive player. Yeah, so like he's unreal. He's really, really good. Um, so all these, you know, I I think are going to impact uh, Marner's salary. I don't think it's going to be a problem to fit him and Matthews in. We've discussed this before. You might have to trade someone. That's fine. You trade a lot of people in order to facilitate having Mitch Marner on your team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the question is just going to be, okay, is he a top five winger in the world? Is he a top ten winger in the world? How much does, is that worth? Because, like, really, that's the conversation he's putting himself into, where, you, you like, the number of wingers that I'm comfortable saying are better offensively than him is not that long a list. No, you know, it's very, very small. Um, you know, Kucherov, Rantanen, and then you have some sniper guys like Line and, you know, even now Ovechkin. Or like Pasternak, maybe. And Pas- like, Pasternak. It, but they're yeah. very different, right? Because Pasternak's like a pure shooter. It, it's all, you know, these are always going to be apples to oranges, just given Mitchie does a lot of things that are very distinctive, and it's hard to find a, a perfect He's a unique match. player, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, Mostly, you take this as a good thing. I do kind of, I hate, and I know that we all do this, and I do this probably more than most people, but as soon as something goes well, there's a bit of a feeling of like, "Uh uh-oh, now we have to pay for it on the next contract. It's like, well, you know what? Sometimes that's good. You know? It's good to have guys having elite seasons, so. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, you get into this situation where, like, other fans are, like, chirping your team. And I see this on Reddit, it's like, Fans are like, huh, wow, Marner scored again. You're going to have to pay him so much. It's like, yeah, he scored. That's good. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, oh, man, no. you showed me. Yeah, right? I hate it when my team scores. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I like having great players, and Marner is undeniably a great player. Yeah. Um, so another player who we thought was a great player but is now a lazy, overpaid bum. Yeah, it's too bad. Is William Nylander. Yeah, oh, this is, this is heartbreaking because we've stand him hard. But... I, I, Oh, yeah, this is another thing that you could probably argue that maybe we got wrong and that maybe we were too high on William Nylander, both of us. I think, um, I mean, I, I put Marner above him in the top 25 under 25, but not by a lot. And I, I do, and I stand by this. I think Nylander had a better 2017-18 than Marner did. Yeah, but... Like, ignoring age and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, um, and, and I had Nylander above, and I think at the time it was defensible. I'm mm-hmm. going to look like a fucking moron for that. And I've just... Yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's what happens in life. Um I'm probably not going to do it again um, next summer. So at least I, I try and learn from it. Uh, Nylander, I, I love him. I think he's finding his feet now. He's coming back. He's I think in, he's basically back. Like, he's I basically think he, back. He looks like the guy he was last year. In the every is, respect but one. Yeah, he's and not scoring. Yeah, and this is the thing is that the Leafs since he came back last night notwithstanding have generally been really good. Um mm-hmm. 
he his metrics insofar as we can measure them are tremendous yeah like he's putting up silly uh good numbers like even you know he's always been a pretty decent player in these respects or at least usually depending on who he was played with right now he's looking fantastic in every respect except he can't seem to get his puck in the net and or any of his line mates like so yeah uh, let, let me just read out uh read out some stats here make some high quality podcast content right here reading out <laughs> stuff from Corsica dot, uh, dot hockey um so William Nylander oh wait Corsica's airing on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah this the perils is... of uh the perils of minimal editing yeah um, no but okay so basically him and uh Kadri together have like a 60% Corsi or something like that yeah right it, it's absurd so him Kadri and Marlowe together have a 62% Corsi yeah, a 61% expected goals and like by every metric they are succeeding now they are facing depth players right mm-hmm. and Kadri and Nylander are too good to not destroy depth players that's exactly what they're doing they're doing what they should hard to really ask for much more um, if you replace Marlowe with Brown by the way the numbers go down a little bit but not by not by a lot um, they're still completely dominating these these lineups it's just they're not getting goals his on-ice shooting percentage is like 3% and yeah. that is that's like Colton Orr levels. I don't expect that to continue, but it does raise the question because we've talked a lot, and I think one thing we kind of ham- have hammered home on this podcast is um, the idea of sustainable finishing talent, and that it, that it does exist and it matters and is perhaps the most important skill you can possibly have in hockey. Yeah, and the Leafs are blessed with a very striking example of sustainable finishing talent in Austin Matthews. Yes. Um, and so... We have a lot of occasion to talk about it. And the thing about watching William Nylander is sometimes he will score goals where he just rocks one under the bar and you're like, this guy is a sniper. He like he clearly has the capacity to put the puck in the net. Over time, though, his numbers seem to suggest that he's a below average shooter in terms of successfully doing that on a consistent basis which is really kind of counterintuitive but as far as i can tell and this is me trying to use the eye test to explain the numbers so it's a bit of an iffy proposition but he seems like he takes a little bit too long sometimes to pull the trigger and in that time people get into his shooting lanes and so his shot gets blocked a little more than it should mm-hmm. um, and he misses he misses the net yeah uh so like more than you think he should yeah, again, seeming like he's trying to hit exactly the top corner, and so sometimes you're more likely to miss off entirely uh, than someone who tries to put it closer to the middle. And now, I don't want to overstate this because it can feel like, you know, right now he's at two points in 11 games. That's not William Nylander, and we know no. that his production is better than that. He put up 60 points twice. He can produce in the NHL. We know he can do that more than he has been, and I'm confident that he will. The question is, what's the final level that he's going to be at? Right. And I think both of us thought he could be an elite player in the league. And I think he could be... It's hard to be that type of player, one of those very, very best players in the world, without being able to sustain above-average shooting percentages for yourself yeah. or for your teammates. It's it's really hard. Not that many players do it. Mm-hmm. Right and and it, yeah, like that, that that's that's a, what a lot of it comes down to. It, it now the caveat here is this is also what makes him a perfect fit with Austin Matthews because Nylander is still 
by a country mile, in my opinion, our best puck mover. Yeah, in right? terms of um, transition play, and that's been borne out increasingly in his stats, where it's like he's dominating shot numbers, is that he's moving the puck uh, in an effective way from defense to offense. Um, and I think that that can be kind of a hard skill to, to measure, but it really can pay out in the aggregate. Uh, so, But it seems know. like once he gets into the offensive zone, he is not as elite as we would like him to be, right? No. Um, he, he doesn't excel there, at least in terms of his finishing boot. I think he's an above-average passer. I think he sets his teammates up quite nicely, and we've, we've seen mm-hmm. that a couple times already. Um, but his shooting, thus far we don't have any real evidence that he's an above-average shooter, and that, that unfortunately does put a cap on his upside. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a first-line winger. I still think he is, mm-hmm. right? But it, it unless that changes, it's hard to see him being a top 30 forward in the league or a top uh, 20 forward in the league or anything like that. Right, yeah. it's just you need to be so good at everything else in order to make up for being a below-average shooter. Yeah, right? and, and you, you see that. Sorry, I'm going yeah, go on, ahead. but you see that with like Mikhail Backlund, actually. Who mm. I, I I know last year he had he had pretty terrible shooting numbers, and I'm not sure how it was previously, but like he does everything else brilliantly. But if shooting's unbelievably important, right? And we sometimes forget that because we focus on. Um, on shot share so much because we, we were like, okay, finishing talent mostly evens out. But if it doesn't, you know, if you're below average there, you're, you're giving up a lot of value. And if you're above average, you're gaining a lot of value. And at, at the top end of the league, when you talk about the top players, it, that matters. Yeah. And, you know, if the ceiling is merely very good on William Nylander, I think before we were saying that that, that would be injurious to the prospects of the Leafs succeeding by adding Tavares, by Mitch Marner kind of ascending into the stratosphere, by Matthews being Austin Matthews, the Leafs can be an outstanding top-tier team as they are. It's just, at this point, we're talking what our cup chances in the next few years, and some of our hopes are invested in William Nylander being more than just very good. So at, at this point, we need to probably start adjusting for that possibility. And there are certainly worse things to have happen. I don't regret uh, signing the contract that he's on now. But yeah, I mean, it will be a bit of a disappointment if he's just like a pretty good 55-point player. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. Um, again, like uh, one thing to emphasize, it, he has... He and his line have just been really, really, really strong. You can't complain about what they're doing. Yes, they have easy usage, but they are doing... It's like the JVR thing, right? They're yeah. doing exactly what they should do with that usage. They are destroying teams. Yeah, and again, I think there's a really natural tendency, even if you know better, to look at the counting stats and when they're not there, say, okay, what does this tell us? He, again, he's not a two points every 11 games player. Yeah, he just and isn't. I actually think a lot of his, a lot of the parts of his game that people have criticized have improved. I think he's been forechecking excellently. He's really trying hard. And Mike Babcock, who again is doing the, the the coaching psychology thing, he's managing the relationship. But he's been saying he's been winning battles. He's been working on some of the stuff that we want him to do. He's been doing his best there. And I'm, you, you know, he had a quote this week where he said, "I don't talk to Willie about production. When he came in to see me, I just showed him footage." 
of, uh, of him winning battles. And I said, that's what we want you to do. Keep doing it and the pucks will come. And I still believe the pucks will come, even though at this point, it feels like we've been waiting for a while. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of, some of it's wait and see and some of it's adjusting expectations on Nylander, I guess. Yeah. So an interesting side note here is that, so we kind of made reference to the top 25 under 25 a couple times. Um, and this year, Nylander and Marner tied for second. Matthews mm-hmm. was obviously first. Riley came fourth. Now, Riley is actually ineligible for the next one, but I feel confident saying that we would probably vote him ahead of Nylander at this point? Yeah. Okay. So I, I actually have—this is a long topic, and I won't get into it here. I might have a piece coming up about this. I don't think Riley's been better this year than he was last year. Now, th- that is a bold take because— the question comes down to how much do you rate defensive scoring, right? Because he's putting up bananas numbers of points. Yeah. And I guess what you're saying, and, you know, I don't want to, uh, to spoil the article too much, but you're basically saying, look deeper than that. Yeah. And, I mean, so you also get into the conversation of, like, what, what does better mean? Riley, is his shooting percentage is much higher this year than it was in years previous, like his personal shooting percentage and his on-ice shooting percentage. Right. Do we credit, how much of that do we credit to him? Mm -hmm. Right? Because like in that sense, yes, he's definitely provided more value and that more pucks have gone in the net. And and that is valuable because we like to win hockey games. Mm -hmm. Um, But how much of that is is just variance or or whatever? I I won't get into this too much, but basically one one of my arguments here is that I, I don't care about Riley's power play scoring. Like, it really doesn't matter to me. I think he is good there. I think if you put Jake Gardner or Travis Dermott there, that power play is, like, maybe 5% worse. Mm. Maybe. Not even. Like, it, I don't think it matters that much. Right? Yeah. His even strength scoring is also absolutely absurd. It's it's ridiculous. It would be, like, a pretty good rate for a forward. Right? Yeah. It, it's absolutely um, ridiculous for a defenseman. He has nine even strength, or 5v5 goals. Yeah. Right? So, depending on how much you want to credit him for his shooting ability there, um, you could definitely make an argument that, hey, his he's been much better this year. His individual shooting percentage is 11.25%. That's above average for a forward, and that's at 5v5. When yeah. Riley shoots, it's like every goaltender's Vesa <laughs> Yeah. Right? That's, that's absurd for a defenseman. I just don't think that's necessarily all him. Right? No. So um, I probably still would put Riley above Nylander because... I, I think um, part of Nylander's value last year was like, okay, he's still young enough that he could take a big leap forward the way Marner has done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with some of, as he gets more and more realized to being the full, what he is, mm-hmm. uh, he has less and less kind of potential value. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's as clear as some people might think. Um, so yeah, I'll, hopefully that piece comes out soon and I can, I can make that argument more cohesively and in more detail. Uh, the next question is, what about Kasperi Kapanen? Yeah, and I'm not really close yet to the level where I would put Kapanen ahead of Nylander. I have too much evidence of Nylander's value, and Kapanen is very good, but I want to see more for longer. But I will say the gap has narrowed. Nylander I've lowered a little bit on, and Kapi I've gone up on quite a bit. Yeah. So, so the one thing it's to a note question here. Yeah, yeah, the one thing to note is that they've been in the, in the same age cohort, the same draft and all that. So 
there's it's been very easy to compare them for a while and mm-hmm. Nylander's numbers have always looked better yeah right and, and that's why it was never much of a debate but Kapanen's numbers this year in the NHL are legitimately excellent they're really strong he grades out as one of the Leafs best play drivers mm-hmm. uh he shoots a lot he shoots from good locations a lot he is I think a legitimately above average penalty killer um you you can talk yourself into it I, I don't think it's an absurd argument Kapanen has moved himself pretty much into like the core adjacent group where like I really really don't want to move him I move a lot of other people before I want to move Kapanen yeah right so like if we have to move someone for Marner to uh, absorb Mar- you know like the increase that Marner has earned with his uh, his play this season I- I'm not like okay we'll get rid of Kapanen like okay we'll get rid of Hyman and Brown and X and Y like get rid of a bunch of people and then maybe consider getting rid of Kapanen if you really have to yeah, which is saying something because he's like, even then he's probably like our sixth best forward, you know, yeah. Matthews, Nylander, Marner, Tavares, Kadri. But yeah, he's been so good and he's blessed us with so much strength at forward. Like those six guys constitute the best center right wing setup in the NHL. And certainly the yeah, best that I've you know, it's silly. It, <laughs> you, you really can't get bad results out of a top nine when you have those three pairings in, in any real order, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you, like uh, you could put Kadri Marner together. Like you wouldn't. Cause why would you? But if you did that, Hey, it'd still be fine. So you really can't yeah. mess it up. And we saw it work like in the past, like again, there's yeah. nothing wrong. And you know, if your left side, you know, if you have to promote Trevor Moore up that next season, because you're in a salary cap crunch, I mean, I'm not saying that that's my favorite solution to the problem, but I also think that that would be fine. You know, <laughs> like there's just, there's so many uh, pleasant options there. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a measure of how blessed our team is right now in most respects that things we were wrong about is mostly players being better than we expected. Like, that's yeah. a, a pretty Are special Are there any time. negative surprises, really, for us? Um, Jake it, Gardner, maybe a little? He's, he's turned it around, though. Yeah, like, he's, 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 he's been improving been better recently. And, like, if we did this at 20 games and I would say Andreas Janssen but again he's yeah. turned it around he's been good. he's actually he's like he's on fire now yeah and um, again he grades out as one of the least better play drivers yeah so you know really I, I mean in terms of players who were a disappointment to me I guess you know Nikita Zaitsev but to be d- disappointed it sort of implies that you're surprised and at this point I'm not anymore yeah you um, need to have expectations that, to be disappointed yeah so yeah, by and large, you know, uh, we maybe, have maybe a capacity Dermot? to be wrong, but yeah, uh, that's an interesting question because it would be Travis harsh. Dermot, uh, it's a question of what you expected from him, right? Right. Um, and he was dominating third pair uh, minutes. Uh, he's had some some rough games lately. You know, he's had some some moments where he didn't look as close to being ready for promotion as maybe some people hoped. Um, he's unequivocally like a good third pair defenseman right now i mean he's he's beating up on third pairing defensemen even now it's just yeah uh, i I wonder how much of it is usage like you can only beat up on third pairing defensemen for so long before we kind of get bored of it we're like okay well what else can you do yeah and i think he's had some some high profile errors recently and he hasn't really gotten the chance to um play an extended period of time in the top four for us to assess him so it's a little harsh i think Mm mm-hmm but yeah, like 
I mean, that's the closest thing the Leafs have to a disappointment, which tells you how well the season has generally been going. Yeah, and it kind of cycles back around to the thing we, we, we started off talking about, which is this is why people are getting really, really upset in arguments about Garrett Sparks. It's like, if this is your biggest concern as a franchise, things are pretty good. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so this might be a good time to do one of our favorite things here at Back to Excited, which is transitioning to talking about another franchise <laughs> um the edmonton oilers are in the process as we go to recording of making some moves they've made one already the rumor is they're going to make another one but i'd like to contextualize that a little bit for you because the oilers are just terrific to me now longtime fans of this podcast or you know sports will know that the edmonton oilers were blessed with a generational player in Connor McDavid, and they have been aggressively stupid in maximizing the return that they get from having him on their team because they keep liquidating their talent, they do it for super questionable reasons, and then their media, who are basically a gang of water carriers and lapdogs, uh, will cheerlead for every dumb decision, as if it's brilliant, to try and like own the libs or something like that. And then it will blow up in their faces again and again and again. And so our most recent example of this was that the Oilers fired coach Todd McClellan for the state of the team, as if it was somehow his fault that Milan Lucic is making $6 million a year and scores like one goal every three months, if that. That might be overselling him. I honestly think that that number may be an overstatement, but he has okay. Like- Unless he scored recently, he has, like, one even-strength goal in his last 60 games or something. It was absurd. And, like, that's bad. That's bad to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even William Nylander isn't that bad. (laughs) And I know, and we all know what a terrible player he is. So, Todd McClellan got dismissed as coach of the Oilers. And to, to some extent, this is, like, the natural order of things. Like, when the GM feels that the heat is finally starting to come around on him... And she really should have been fired years ago, but he's still somehow there, and he finally knows that his ass is on the line. So he uses the GM's last bullet, he fires his coach, he replaces him with Ken Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock is like an old-school defensive coach. He's had some successes, he's had some failures. Um, Generally, his record is pretty impressive. I'm not, you know, trying to slag him, although I wonder if maybe he's a bit out of date in some ways. But he came in, and the Oilers got on a bit of a hot streak, uh, and there was a really terrific article in the Edmonton Sun, which, if you haven't read it, is of the same sterling journalistic quality that we've come to expect from the Toronto Sun. And it said, he's back, Chiarelli looking like a genius. And since that article was published, the Oilers have not won a game. And they've looked really, really gross in some of them. Because, again, it wasn't a real success, and one little hot streak in the face of an ocean of failure is not really great evidence that Peter Chirilli is back from wherever he went away. Um, Because the team is still fundamentally flawed. They might still make the playoffs. They might uh, get in because, again, they've been given the greatest gift imaginable in Connor McDavid by virtue of winning a lottery. But the fact that that's not a guarantee with the talent they have on hand really should lead to kind of everyone getting fired in that organization, especially Chiarelli. So Chiarelli kind of conscious of this, because if they miss the playoffs, even his kind of ironclad 
uh, grasp on employment has to slip a little bit. Uh, has started making trades. And so today he traded Chris Weidman, who he picked up off the side of the road from the Ottawa Senators after the Uber thing. Uh, he traded Chris Weidman and a third for Alex Petrovich. Alex Petrovich is not an especially good defenseman. So far as most measures can take it, he's worse than Chris Weidman, much less worse than Chris Weidman in a third. But he's the kind of guy, apparently, that old school general managers seem to appreciate. Wait, um, one interjection here. Um, mm-hmm. Guess where Chris Weidman's from. Or sorry, not Chris Weidman. Guess where Alex Petrovic is from. Is he from Alberta? Uh, you can be more specific. Is he from Edmonton? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, hometown boys. And so Alex Petrovich was actually most famous before now because he was the centerpiece of another terrible general managing decision. The Florida Panthers, if you cast your mind back, in the expansion draft made the extremely curious decision to trade Jonathan Marchessault to the Vegas Golden Knights so that the Vegas Golden Knights would pick Riley Smith in the expansion draft and not Alex Petrovich. They gave two first-line caliber forwards to the Vegas Golden Knights to protect what appears to be a third-pair defenseman. That really ought to be enough to get Dale Talon fired in any universe, but apparently it's not. And he's uh, existed long enough to pawn off Alex Petrovich on another terrible GM in Dieter Chirelli. I don't understand how these people still have jobs. Now, to be clear, everyone makes mistakes. Every GM makes mistakes. We make mistakes. We just talked about all the mistakes that we make. But some of the decision-making that goes on here is breathtaking. And at this point, I think the Oilers are doing even more injury to their long-term prospects because they're allowing Peter Chiarelli to keep running the team when he's flailing around desperately for his job. And the thing is, uh, with the Oilers, they, they have a similar issue to the Leafs in terms of making trades in that they have a lot of low-value things and then things that are way too valuable to trade. Yes. Not that that has always stopped them before. So basically, they have to either deal, like, one of their diamonds or mm-hmm. from futures. Yeah. Which goes to the point you're making of, like, well, why do we want to trade from our futures in order to scrape a third place in the Pacific and maybe a second round exit? And the only reason to do that is because you know that if you don't, you're going to get fired. Yep, and it's, it's a moral hazard. Exactly. And Bob Nicholson, who runs the Oilers in the chair above Chirilli, said in an interview, if Chirilli makes the playoffs, he's staying on the job. I think that there's, uh, you know an obvious reasoning there that I think is flawed, but I think that that's also kind of emblematic of the whole rot in the Oilers organization, because think about it. You have a GM who has a penchant for dramatic trades and some iffy judgment in terms of trading away talent. You give him a failing team and you tell him, if you make the playoffs, you get to keep your job. Yeah. Like you can't be surprised if he's going to make some trades and giving his track record, probably not good ones. Yeah, like, if I were trying to set up a situation where somebody gave away one of my prized assets, and, you know, we're all thinking Jesse Puglia-Yarvi would be kind of one of the possibilities. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. But, like, if you were trying to set up a situation where you traded a player like that at a loss, 
it would be exactly the situation that they've put Peter Chiarelli in. And it's a product of their failure to fire him in a timely manner because he's made some good decisions. I don't want to knock it. And I've complimented them before. And the Oilers are better than this. They'll be better when they get Oscar Clefbaum back. But yeah. and, and they've like, run all aside, they'll be better when they get Chris Russell back just because he is a depth defenseman and they don't like the people and they, they need have behind him. him are worse. Yeah, you know, as much as we knock him for being Mr. Shot Block, you know, he can, he can play an NHL job. But the whole thing is just sort of like there's this pursuit of the big move, of the move for toughness or the kind of guy we want, and, you know, not for nothing, but Chris Weidman is like the classic fancy stat defenseman. I was actually a little impressed with Chiarelli for picking him up. Yeah. And, of course, he traded him away in a month. But the whole rot in that organization in terms of desperation to get bigger and tougher and short-term thinking because they're conscious that they're wasting Connor McDavid's window but they're wasting it by making these kind of decisions. And I think we're poised to see another one. I'm hoping that by the time this podcast comes out, Peter Chirelli has done me a solid and made a really stupid trade. Um, he might not do it, but if anyone can, it's Peter. So I believe <laughs> in you, man. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with everybody because the Oilers, I think, morally need to have like a cleansing fire. You know, when when uh, Brennan Shanahan came in and they had like a massive bloodletting in the Leafs organization where they fired a lot of people and they eventually did fire Dave Nonis. I think that's kind of what the Oilers need. I don't have that much against them as an organization, but I think that this kind of retrograde decision-making needs to go the way of the Dodo. And Frankly, I want to read the Mark Spector article that comes out the morning after Chirilli is fired, where he tries to somehow blame it on McDavid. So, yeah, just wanted to share that with the listener base. <laughs> yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you you said there. Um, <laughs> that franchise it it needs to it needs to be burned down and start from the beginning. Like, and I, I think a lot of this I think has to fall on ownership as well. Yeah. Right. Um, as an owner, I think the best thing you can do is to hire smart people and stay out of their way. Yeah, and unfortunately, the opposite of that is to hire dumb people and stay out of their way. And right now, that appears to be what he's done with Chiarelli. Yeah. I want to say, for the longest time, the Oilers were run by what was perceived to be an old boys club. They still uh, are, aren't they? Yeah, um, to a large extent. Uh, but, you know, Kevin Lowe, guys who were on the Oilers teams of yore, who were often players. But they actually went outside for a hire and they hired Peter Chiarelli and they gave him the keys to the store and he has wasted it and he's wasted it for a lot of reasons I mean there's been some talk about what Hall and Eberle and them were like as people as character players as young men and how they've reformed since but gosh at this point with all that has been done the fact that that guy still has a job we should all have such job security because most of us would never get fired. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, discuss today? Uh, nothing pressing. I will plug an article that I published on Saturday. Uh, speaking of some questionable mismanagement. I can't believe we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> I know. We had so much to discuss. But very briefly, the CEO of the Dallas Stars, Jim Lights, made the remarkable decision to blast his two 
core players, Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, in print to reporters on the record. And he said that they were fucking horse shit and made another uh, bunch of criticisms that were like obscene and like really aggressive. And the NHLPA actually, just as we've been recording, uh, made a public statement objecting pretty strongly to it, as well they should. But I had an article comparing uh, styles of player management between that and Babcock with Nylander. You can find it on our site. Um, so give that a read if you're if you're interested in seeing a little bit more about that. Cool. Um, yeah, that, that's everything from us. Just want to wish all our viewers a happy holidays and a happy new year as well. We'll see you in 2019. Um, and thank you for listening. You can also find all of mine and Fuleman stuff at pensionpenpuppets.com, including that article he mentioned, and all our future work is there as well. And please follow us on Twitter. Um, I still don't have as many followers as Spencer Krug. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can follow me at RV and Fuleman at AT Fuleman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.